Okay. If I suddenly burst out shouting, Giuseppe, paddle! Giuseppe, paddle! It's a dream I had last night. Uh, no, he was sitting right behind me. He was beating me to death with his paddle. He's just, I said, Giuseppe, stick it in the water, man. Stick it down in the water. Okay, I love this text. I could preach it. I really could preach it, I think, every week. I know I say that about some different texts, but it's really the truth. I love John 11. I love John 11. A.W. Tozer was a well-known preacher and author uh, back in the first half of the last century, and he wrote a book called Whatever Happened to Worship? And in that book, he uh, recounted uh, something that happened to him. One one, uh, afternoon in Toronto, he was sitting on a park bench, and he was waiting for a friend to arrive, and... uh, a well-dressed uh, gentleman approached him and sat down beside him and gave him a kind of a bewildered smile. It was one of those looks like when you know people look at you and you think, well, I guess I must know this guy the way he's looking at me. And Tozer says, Tozer said, do I know you? And the guy says, no, I don't, think, uh, I don't think that you do. He says, something's happened to me. He says, apparently I've fallen in the city and I've hit my head. And when I woke up, my billfold was gone. And I don't know who I am. And I don't know why I'm here. And just at that moment, a very distinguished gentleman came up to Tozer and this lost man. And this this distinguished gentleman called this lost guy by name. And he said, William, where have you been? We've been looking all over for you. And William said, do you know me? He said, of course I know you. We're in the Philadelphia Philharmonic and you're the first violinist and you missed the concert. And William says this, so that's who I am. And that's why I'm here. And Tozer follows up that story like this. As a result of the willful disobedience of Adam and Eve, they took a catastrophic fall and received a similar injury. The consequence of the fall was a kind of numbing amnesia. Then when they tried to shake the fog out of their minds, they realized they no longer knew who they were or why they were alive. They did not know the purpose for their existence. And I thought when I read that book several years ago, I thought that is the perfect description of mankind. Apart from those who are in Christ. They don't know, where, they don't know their origin. They don't know their purpose. They don't know why they're here. They don't know what they're here to do. They don't know their destiny. And I thought that is a perfect description of the human race. Since, since Adam, in Adam, we all kind of have a um, a corporate amnesia. We don't really know what we're here for. We don't really know what we're about apart from those who have come to Christ. And this is one thing that the gospel of Jesus Christ does with profound clarity. Jesus Christ confronts us with the claim that we're here for Him. We're not here for any lesser reason. We are here for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said it a hundred times in this pulpit. We were made by Him and what? For Him. And the Gospel of Jesus Christ makes it very, very clear. Last week we talked a lot about the purpose for which we are here. And I borrowed that, that uh, uh, quote from Rick, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. His opening sentence to me is, is perfect. It's the best opening sentence of any book I've ever read. It's not that he's my, this is my favorite book I've ever read. But this is my favorite opening sentence. Rick Warren says what? Someone tell me. It's not about you. It's about someone infinitely more interesting. (laughs) 
than you and me. And then he writes this, You must begin with God, your Creator. You exist only because God wills that you exist. You exist for no other reason. And he goes on, You were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, your life will never make any sense. Your life will never make any sense. And I thought, how many people we know that live just like that man that sat down next to A.W. Tozer on that bench. They are clueless. They are clueless. They don't know why they're here. And they don't know what it's about. Life makes no sense until we are connected to Jesus Christ. Paul said it very clearly, and I told you this last week, Romans, Romans 11.36, which really, it, it, it summarizes all of the Bible. Okay? And if you don't know Romans 11.36, you should, you should commit it to memory. Romans 11.36. For from Him, and what? Through Him, and what? To Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. It's the Bible. It's the whole Bible in one verse. It's your life. It's you in one verse. For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. It's not about you, not even a little bit. It's about Jesus Christ. The universe does revolve around Him, not you. And I hope we get that straight. And I want to say this in a, in a way that you might remember it from, uh, as I said last week, from the microscopic one-cell creature living under the rock in the blackest, deepest part of the sea to the asteroid circling the farthest planet in the farthest galaxy in the universe. It's all for the glory of Jesus Christ. And you're in the middle there, right? And I'm going to give you the same litany I gave you last week. Your life, your body, your marriage, your kids, your career, your money, your hobbies, your plans, your dreams, your trials, your pains, your sicknesses, and your death are all meant to be for the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul says, whatever you do, do what? Anybody know? Whatever you do, do to the glory of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the first six verses, and I love the first six verses of John 11. I love it. And I want to I continue in the chapter. Uh, tonight we'll make it down to verse 36. Tonight, and there are some fundamental, foundational biblical truths here that we need to understand. John 11 is basically like a worldview tutorial for Christians. Jesus basically is teaching us how to think as Christians. He's teaching us how to process life as Christians. Everything that comes through our life, we're supposed to look at it through the prism of John 11. It is for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to learn that. We're supposed to understand that. We're supposed to think like that. If we call ourselves Christians, we're supposed to think like this. Whatever comes into our life, we're supposed to receive it as from God, knowing that He's going to work it for His glory. And what have we been saying all along? What is the glory of God to His people? Anybody know? Our joy. We'll talk more about that in a minute. His glory is our joy. Praise God, it's not about me. How boring would that be? How boring would that be? And some of you who are making your life all about you, if you're not bored yet, you soon will be. 
Because you're going to get to the end of yourself. And we talked about this last week or the week before. You'll never get to the end of Christ. He'll astonish you for a billion eternities. He'll amaze you for a billion eternities. Last week we saw Martha and Mary. They sent word to Jesus Christ. I love this in verse 3. They just say, Lord... Lazarus is sick, and I love this. We talked about the fact that this is kind of a picture of, of mature prayer. They, they just give it to God. They just give it to, to the Lord. They say, the one, the one whom you love is sick, and I love what Jesus says. He says, verse 4, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6, When therefore He heard that He was sick, He stayed there two more days in the place where He was. We made a lot of this. If you have an NIV, it's wrong. The NIV inserts a word. The NIV inserts the word yet. It's wrong. Yet is not in the Greek text. It, it, the Greek text reads, He loved them so He stayed two more days. He tarried two days because He loved them. He stayed two more days. He loved them, therefore He stayed two more days. He loved them, consequently He stayed two more days. This is how the text needs to be read or you won't understand John 11. You won't understand John 11. He loved them so He tarried. When was the last time you, you sensed that the Lord was tearing in your life and you consciously said, I know this is because God loves me. It's because God loves me that He tarries. Friends, this is the way we're supposed to think. This is how we're supposed to think as Christians. When it seems like God is not hearing us and God is not answering, we need to understand that He's tearing because what? He loves me. And not only that, He's going to show up. He's going to show up in His glory. And His glory is going to be my joy. Friends, we need to live John 11. We need to learn John 11. And we need to live John 11. Jesus loved them so He tarried and allowed Martha and Mary to pass through a very difficult trial. But I want you to understand the text says He loved them. He loved them. He loved them, so He delayed. Now, we talked about last week, just to, and I want to touch on it just a minute. If, you know, the world is always accusing God of being callous and unloving. And it's because the world has a, a fallen definition of what the divine love should be. Humanity divi uh, defines divine love as, as uh, well, God should make my life easy. God should give me everything I want. God should make all my dreams come true, Right? God should do this in my life, and God should do that in my life. We think, we think that divine love is all about us, okay? But in one sense, it is all about us, because what does God give His children? God gives His children the preeminent gift, which is what? Himself. And sometimes it's God's prerogative to do that in trial, and sometimes it's His prerogative to do it in blessing. Whatever it's going to take in your life, for God to give you Himself and to show you His glory, that's what He's going to do. And when He shows you His glory, as we talked about last week, that will be your joy. And friends, I, 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 let me just stop and say this. I want you to live your life this way. I want you to be, always be expecting God's glory to show up. And if it hadn't shown up yet, I want you to be expecting it to show up. I want you to be excited that it will show up. Unbelievers are supposed to see you go through a trial and know and, 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 and proudly say that my God's going to show up. Yes, it's hard today. 
It is hard today. But my God's going to show up. He's a faithful God. And His glory will be seen in my life and what He wants to do in my life. As we go through John 11, we're going to see this. And I love this. I absolutely love John 11. Friends, it's not about you. It's not, about what, it's not all about Martha and Mary and Lazarus, is it? What does the text say? It's about what Jesus Christ wants to do through them. It's about what Jesus Christ wants to do through them. Jesus Christ is going to glorify Himself. And again, here's the compelling theology lesson. Let me just say it to you. God is always out to glorify Himself. And God is always out to give joy to His people. And I want you to understand this. It's one pursuit. This is one pursuit. As God pursues His glory, He is pursuing the joy of His people. And I want you to see. I want you to see what happens to Martha and Mary in John chapter 11. I want you to see what happens. The Lord loved them. And He let them pass through this trial. But what we're going to see on the pages of Scripture is unbelievable joy at the end. Something they could have never imagined. Glory and all that they could have never imagined. Jesus Christ is going to give them a new revelation of Himself. And this is the way I want you to live. Expecting that new revelation. Expecting that God's going to show up and teach me something more about Himself. Something awesome. Something I could have never expected or thought of or considered or dreamed of. But God's going to show up and He's going to blow them away. The Lord Jesus is going to blow them away with who He is. Verse 7 through 10. Jesus says, let's go back to Judea, Keith. Go, let's go back to Judea. Keith says this is one of his favorite texts. He was telling me yesterday. And the disciples aren't too jazzed about it because the, the Pharisees want to kill Christ. But Christ gives this great parable here. He gives them a, a lesson in the sovereignty of God. Verse 9, Are there uh, not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he will not uh, stumble because he sees the light of this world. Verse 10, But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Basically, Jesus says, Listen guys, if you're in me, you're bulletproof. What does David say? What does David say in, in Psalm 139? In thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Friends, listen. You're not going to die one second sooner or one second later than, than God has ordained for you. Do you believe this? This is what God's Word says. Do you understand that God has set you free to be fearless with the Gospel? Let's go to Mecca and start a church. No problem. No problem. Let's go to Jerusalem and start a church. No problem. If we walk in the day, if we walk in the light, I want to say to you, you're bulletproof. In the sovereignty of God, you are bulletproof. Those in Christ, we are to walk in a holy confidence. A holy confidence. Do you walk like that? Do you live like that? We're to walk like God really is God and like God can really do what He says. Are you walking like that? Jesus says, come on, boys. Come on. You're to be fearless in my name. Are you a fearless Christian? Let me ask you. Are you walking boldly in those 12 hours? Those 12 hours are your lifespan. I don't know. We all have, you know, and I've told you this before, and it's, it's important that you understand this. 
God is God and you're not, God gives life, guess what else God does? He takes life. It's His prerogative. This is what God does. It's His prerogative. It's not our prerogative. God gives, go read Job, and God takes. It's His prerogative. It's His prerogative. And God knows perfectly the lifespan He has ordained for His children. Friends, we need to think like this. We need to realize that in Christ we are bulletproof. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to wring our hands. If Jesus says go to Judea, we need to go to Judea. Look at verses 11 through 16. Jesus says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of that sleep. And the disciples therefore said, Well, if he's asleep, he'll be okay. Verse 13. And they didn't understand that that Jesus was talking, that, that, that Lazarus had really died. Verse 14, Jesus therefore said plainly, Lazarus is dead and I love. Verse 15, and I am glad for you, for your sakes, that I was not there. I want someone to tell me, why, what, what does the text say? Why is Jesus glad they weren't there? Why is Jesus glad that He wasn't there? Someone tell me. That they may believe. Jesus says, I'm glad that you weren't there, that you may believe. There's an awesome, awesome lesson for us here. You know God's doing a billion things all at once, right? At least. At least a billion things all at once. And you know what? What He's doing in your life matters to me. It's important to me. Because I'm supposed to read God. I'm supposed to read God off Dave's life. I'm supposed to see Jesus Christ reflecting and bouncing off Dave's life. And when I see that, I'm supposed to be encouraged. And I'm supposed to believe God all the more because I'm watching my brother. And even if he's, walk, if he's walking through a trial, I'm watching my brother go through a hard time and I'm watching him love and worship and adore and praise God. And I'm supposed to believe all the more because what God's doing in Dave's life, and guess what? You're supposed to see God in my life. You're supposed to see Jesus Christ bouncing off of me. Because you're supposed to be able to look at my life and, and believe all the more. Because you see me living faith. Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. So you may believe. Because He's about to get in the middle of the trial of Martha and Mary. And you know what's going to happen when God gets in the middle of this trial? People are going to believe like they've never believed before. Here's my point. Unbelievers, your children, your children may be watching you. Your neighbors, your friends, extended family, your spouse. What God is doing in your life, they're supposed to see that and they're supposed to believe. Are you living in such a way? Is your life shouting Jesus Christ? Are you living in such a way that someone could observe your life and believe? You know what God wants to do through you? You know what God wants to do through your trial? He wants somebody to believe. He wants somebody to believe that He really is God and that He really is faithful, even if it's hard, even if you've cried the last tear you've got. He wants His people to love Him like that and to hold Him up like that. And He wants the unbelievers to see what a great God He is. And He wants them to come to Him by faith. God will convert lost people as they watch you. God will convert God will plant belief in the hearts of unbelievers by what He's doing in your life. Do you, do you see this? Do you get this? I, I love this out of John 11. 
I love this. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there because I'm going to get in the middle of their trial and I'm going to blow them away and I'm going to blow you away too and your life is never going to be the same. You're never going to think casually about me anymore because He's going to call that dead corpse out of the tomb. And we'll talk about that next week. I love this. I love this text. I love this text. Verse 16, Thomas says, well, let's just go die with Him. And just as a sidebar, let me say, let me say that all the disciples will be martyred except for John. Now, D Judas was a special case. We'll put him out, outside here. But all the other disciples except for John will be martyred. And church tradition tells us that Thomas will be martyred uh, as he preaches the gospel in India. Uh, he was run through with a spear. That is what church tradition tells us. Verses 17 through 19. And Jesus came and He found that He had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, only two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary. Uh, apparently they were a prominent family because many Jews had come out to console them. Um, and this is an important thing. And I want to I make a point about the four days. This is, this is a big deal. The Jews had a superstition that the, uh, the uh, Spirit would linger over the body for up to three days. Okay? So it's uh, providential that this is the fourth day. The Jews did not embalm and they would immediately put the corpse into the tomb. And the, 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 the corpse would immediately begin to decompose because of the heat in the Near East. And all of this is important because there will be no viable allegation of resuscitation. Okay, This will be a resurrection. When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, this will be a miraculous resurrection. This is a dead man. He's dead. There are no questions about it. He is a dead man. And he is laying in, his body is laying in that tomb and it is decomposing. Verses 20 through 27. Martha there heard that Jesus was coming and, and Martha comes out to meet him. And Martha says, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha acknowledges the general resurrection that many Jews believed in that is prophesied in Daniel. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The most important question anyone will ever present to you, do you believe this? Then he goes on to say, well actually the text says, and she said to him, yes Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. What a beautiful, beautiful profession. But first I want to go back and I just want to make a point about Martha here. Do you notice Martha says, Lord, man, if you hadn't been late, my brother wouldn't have died. And I, I don't want to be too hard on Martha here. Because I think Martha's just like you and me. It's almost like she says, man, Lord, if you, if you, you, just, you didn't make it in time. I submit to you, he made it exactly on time. Do you know this about the Lord? Do you know this about Him in your own life? Do you know that God's always on time? Do you know that His timing is perfect? I thought, when I read that, I thought, man, that's just like us. That's just like us. And I, I, and I just want to make a point in passing 
about this low view of God that permeates most of the modern church. You know, God is presented in such a way that He's kind of pathetic and he, He's kind of frantic and, and he, can't get his, he can't get His purposes accomplished. And I want to say, anytime you hear that coming out of a pulpit, I want you to run out of that church and I don't want you to ever go back. Because the biblical God is not frustrated. He's not pathetic. He knows exactly what He's doing. You heard me read the text. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I am God, there's no one like Me. I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all My good what? pleasure. God is doing exactly what God purposes to do. If you ever hear anyone teaching that He is pathetic and He can't get it done, you need to run. Because that's not the biblical God. That's not Jesus Christ. That's not Jehovah. That's not our God. Jesus is right on time. Jesus is right on time. And I love this. You know, Martha expresses faith in the general resurrection, but I want you to notice what Jesus wants to do with Martha. <laughs> what is He going to do with Martha? He's going to take her to a whole new place. So let me ask you, have you become stagnant in your Christianity? I'm going, to tell you what, I'm going to tell you what I told the congregation this morning. Shame on you. If your Christianity is the same as it was last month or last quarter or last year or five years ago or ten years ago, shame on you. Shame on you. What does the psalmist say? What does the psalmist say? My flesh yearns for Thee. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That is true worship. Are you really pursuing Him? If you've become complacent in your Christianity, I want to exhort you. Don't be complacent anymore because Jesus Christ always wants to take you to a deeper place. Always! And if you stay on His heels, He'll take you to a deeper place. But if you sit down, He'll be gone. He's always moving. And you've got to stay in His Word and you've got to stay on Him. He's going to take Martha to a place she could have never conceived in about 15 minutes. She's going to watch a dead corpse walk out of a tomb. Friends, I don't, I, we, need to, we need to stay on Him. We don't need to become complacent. We don't need to become complacent. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I destroy death's power in My people. I will raise up My people. It's an awesome, awesome promise. And He says, Martha, do you believe this? And I'm going to ask each one of you, do you believe it? Okay, you may say, well, I believe it. But do you live it? It's easy to say, I believe it. It's easy to just voice it. But that's never what the Bible means when it's talking about faith. True faith lives it. True faith lives that I believe this. It lives like this. It lives like this. As we were singing earlier, it lives like this. Jesus says, I give eternal life to my people. Verses 28 through 32. Martha goes back and he tells and tells Mary. Mary comes out running to the teacher, and and, and all the Jews followed her, uh, not knowing exactly where she was going. They thought she was going to the tomb, and they all followed her out there. Verse 32, and Mary came to Jesus and she saw him and she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you'd been here. Uh, my brother would not have died. There it is again, just like you and me. And I want to say to you, don't, don't slander God like that anymore. Don't ever be guilty of slandering God like that anymore. 
God's right on time. And God's doing exactly what God wants to do in your life. And it's all about Jesus. It's not all about us. It's not all about us. I want you to get this in your mind. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so He let them pass through this very difficult trial. But here He comes. Here He comes. Here comes the glory of Christ, and He's going to blow their socks off. Friends, I told you last week, I want you to live like this. I want you to have this expectation of the glory of God in your life. And I want to say, if you don't have that expectation, you've sit down somewhere along the way. You're no longer hot on the heels of God. You're sitting down in a spiritual recliner or something. If you don't have this anticipation about God showing up in your life and showing you His glory... He says to His disciples, I'm glad you weren't there because I'm going to go and get in the middle of Martha and Mary's trial and you're going to believe like you've never believed before. And friends, this is what God's doing. Please, please study John 11. Please get familiar with John 11. It's not about Martha and Mary and Lazarus. It's about Jesus Christ and what He wants to do in their life. And it's about what He wants to do in His disciples' life. And it's about what He wants to do in your life. And I want you to notice the bookends here of our text tonight. It's the love of God. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and His sister and Lazarus, therefore He tarried two days. But I want you to look here at the end as we, as we close out tonight. Verse 33, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And He said, Where have you laid Him? They said to Him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how He loved them. I know, uh, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus Christ is a man. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. And I, I know many times I focus on His deity. But here's a man crying at the gravesite of a dear friend. Of course, the sovereign God knows He's about to, to unleash divine power and call that decomposing corpse out of the tomb. Of course, He knows that. But here, He weeps for His lost brother. He weeps for the sin that reigns in the hearts of men. And He weeps. And He weeps what it's going to cost Him to redeem His people. And Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. And they say, oh, see how, they, see how He loved them. But I will submit to you, it's not because He shed a few tears that you'll be able to know that Jesus loved Lazarus. It's when He sheds His blood in about 24 to 48 hours that we'll be able to see exactly how He loved Lazarus and exactly how He loves you and me. It's not the shedding of a few tears. It's not the shedding of a few tears. It'll be the shedding of the King's blood. I love what Matthew Henry says here. He says, Jesus Christ, being a man, expresses Himself like any other man. And He weeps. But then He unleashes divine power. And we'll see that. We'll see that n next week. Are you like A.W. Tozer's uh, acquaintance? Um, do you not know why you're here? Do you not know what your purpose is? If you didn't know that when you walked in, here's your answer. You're here for Jesus Christ. 
Everything else is subordinate. Everything else is subordinate. Everything else, everything else is subordinate. And Jesus means to get in your life. He means to glorify Himself. And you know what? As a Christian, as you allow Jesus Christ to get in your life and begin to glorify Himself, you know what He's going to start doing around you? People are going to start believing. People are going to get converted. Because, because you're reflecting Jesus Christ. The, the reflection of Christ is bouncing off you. And people are seeing it. And He's going to change lives. He's going to change life through your life. Right? And let me say this and I'm done. Next time it's really, really hard. Or next time it's just annoying. God's doing something. And I want you to think like this. I want you to think biblically. And I want you to expect God to show up. And I want you to expect Christ to take you deeper. And I, and I, and I want you to expect that your life will be changed. And I want you to expect as you go through the hard thing and, and, and those around you see it, expect that God's going to do, do a work in those around you. Expect it. Don't hope it happens. Expect it. Believe it. Believe it will happen. Believe that God will show up in your trial. Believe that His glory will be visible. Believe that others will believe as they see you. Trusting and worshiping in Him. Oh, Christian. Man, this is an awesome, awesome, awesome responsibility. An awesome responsibility. And I know I'm belaboring the point, but I want you to walk out of here. I want you to walk out of here and let Jesus Christ be the center of your life. Let Him be the center of your life. Live it for the glory of Christ. That's why He put you here. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. So often we're so self-absorbed and we think it is all about us. We think the universe revolves around us. We think that uh, you should spend all your time making sure that we're happy and that we're comfortable and that we have all that we think we need. Father, forgive us for thinking so small. Forgive us, Father. For we are all guilty of thinking like that. Father, give us a true, a true life-changing glimpse of Christ in John 11. Lord, help us to think biblically. Help us to think like this. Help us to know that whatever You bring in our life, it's for the glory of Christ. And it's that others around us may believe as they watch You deal with us. And as they watch us love You that many will come to believe because they see Your glory in our life. Father, we want to be those kinds of Christians. We don't want to be Christians that just go to church on Sunday and sing a few songs and then walk out and never think about it again. We don't want to be those kind of Christians. Lord, help us if we are. Lord, we want to take these 12 hours that You've meted out to us and we want to live them to the full. We want to live them to the glory of God. Lord, help us to be those kinds of Christians. 
Father, help us to live to Your glory. Help us to reflect Jesus Christ every day, especially the hard day. Oh Lord, show us Your glory. Show us Your glory. Oh God, show us Your glory. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Ancient words ever true, changing me.